This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on the first day of the hurricane season. It could get nasty this year, as nasty as last year, which set all sorts of records. What a season it was. 2020 breaking so many records. Um, just absolutely uh, staggering with 30 named storms. Florida, you know, really not getting the, the brunt of those storms. We did have some impacts, but at the same time, you know, it looked like we went ahead and uh, dodged some of the most significant impacts uh, from the season. The official prediction from the National Hurricane Center is similar to 2020, an above normal number of storms. Specifically, there is a 60% chance of above normal, a 30% chance of near normal, and a 10% chance of below normal hurricane season. So that means that there is a 70% probability of having between 13 and 20 named storms. That's a very similar prediction to last year. We count on the Hurricane Center and the National Weather Service to give us adequate warning when a storm heads this way, but they rely on us to be prepared. Now is the time to go out and uh, get those uh, items that you need for your disaster preparedness kit. The very first thing that we need to do when we develop that disaster preparedness kit is stop and let's do an insurance check. One good thing about the new season is you can forget about storms that are named after letters in the Greek alphabet. We're not using the Greek alphabet in the future. I hope we never run out of names, but if we do, it'll be an alternate name list that's more recognizable to the public. I think that's a, is a huge change. Uh, I'm proud of that one this year, and I think it's gonna serve the public better. Turns out there was a lot of confusion last year when storms were named Zeta, Eta, and Theta. A lot of confusion in the cruise ship industry as they try to get back to work during the COVID pandemic. The CDC says the vast majority of passengers and crew should be vaccinated before they set sail. But Governor Ron DeSantis issued an edict that no one can be required to show proof of vaccination, and he convinced the legislature to make that a law. He's also filed suit against the CDC to block any requirement for vaccine passports. So DeSantis is hoping they will not have to find the cruise lines $5,000 per passenger. Not if we win our case, they won't. Not if we win our case. That's the whole point. But even if he loses, DeSantis says he's not backing down on the fines for cruise ships that ask for proof of vaccination. Florida man is at it again. Panhandle Congressman Matt Gates is suggesting that conservatives who oppose the liberals in Silicon Valley should do something about it, perhaps with guns. We have a Second Amendment in this country, and I think we have an obligation to use it. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man accused of stealing ventilators that were supposed to be shipped to critical care patients in El Salvador last year. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, June 1st. This is National Go Barefoot Day, National Heimlich Maneuver Day, National Olive Day, National Hazelnut Cake Day, National Say Something Nice Day, and Oscar the Grouch Day. On this date in 1813, Captain John Lawrence uttered the words that became the motto of the U.S. Navy, don't give up the ship. That was his dying command to the crew of the USS Chesapeake. In 1843, abolitionist and women's rights advocate Sojourner Truth left New York to begin her career as an anti-slavery activist. In 1962, SS officer Adolf Eichmann was executed in Israel after being found guilty of war crimes. He inspired a phrase, the banality of evil, the idea that evil acts are not necessarily perpetrated by evil people. They can simply be the result of bureaucrats obeying orders without question. And on this date in 1990, CNN, the cable news network, made its first transmission from Atlanta. Those of us in the broadcast biz who thought it was a bit far-fetched at the time referred to CNN as chicken noodle news. 
Now, under normal circumstances, this would be the part where I fill you in on the latest COVID casualty report. Death does not take a holiday, but the same cannot be said for the Department of Health. They have not updated the COVID dashboard since Friday. Welcome to day one of the Atlantic hurricane season. Forecasters say it probably won't be as bad as 2020, but really that's not much of a relief. Ken Graham, director of the National Hurricane Center, says 2020 was the worst on record. What, what a season it was. 2020 breaking so many records. I, I could put pages and pages uh, if we had time of records that were, were broken. Absolutely just absolutely incredible. You, know, you look back at, at the season, um, just absolutely uh, staggering with 30 named storms. Florida, you know, really not getting the, the brunt of those storms. We did have some impacts, but at the same time, you know, it looked like we went ahead and uh, dodged some of the most significant impacts uh, from the season. So you saw the seasonal forecast um, above average. Once again, it looks like it's going to be busy again. And that seasonal forecast does not cover exactly where we're going to make landfall. It just covers the overall basin of where we'll see some of those storms. So 13 to 20 storms again, even though not predicting is as busy as last year, um, still going to be busy and, and it only takes one. These storms aren't just coastal. I mean, if you think about all these watches and warnings, most of Florida at some point has some sort of tropical uh, watch and warning, but they stretch so far inland uh, in these systems. And this is staggering. We talk about 30 named storms. Hurricane warnings were in effect for the United States for 378 hours, 15.7 days we had hurricane warnings up. And so it's just a staggering statistic to, to look at that. 14 of those systems required watches and warnings on the first advisory. So some of these were strengthening last season as they were really approaching uh, the coast. And that does shorten our timeline, something to always look at. We keep getting the, the question, hey, Ken, it seems like it's really been busy. And the answer is it has. Uh, 14 hurricanes have made landfall in the United States since 2017. Six were major. It has been busy. And the total damage to the United States, $353 billion. The number of billion-dollar storms, 12 the number of $10 billion storms, six. It's been busy. It really has been busy. And last year really covered the Gulf of Mexico significantly. And the 2021 season could be every bit as bad as last year. Molly Berenger runs the Atlantic Oceanographic and Meteorological Laboratory at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. On May 20th, NOAA issued its seasonal outlook for the hurricane season for the Atlantic Basin. So this year calls for an above normal season. Uh, specifically, there is a 60% chance of above normal, a 30% chance of near normal, and a 10% chance of below normal hurricane season. So that means that there is a 70% probability of having between 13 and 20 named storms. That's a very similar prediction to last year. And that's uh, 6 to 10 will become major hurricanes and three to five might become major hurricanes with wind speeds of an excess of 111 miles per hour. So the drivers that really influence the number and intensity of these storms, including the ongoing high activity era conditions that favor more hurricane activity. And so those conditions include things like above average sea surface temperatures in that main development region where hurricanes form, a weaker trade winds, weaker vertical wind shear, and a stronger, wetter African monsoon. And so neutral or possibly even La Nina uh, impacts in the Pacific may either have no suppression or a reinforcement of these high activity error conditions. So these conditions are really a continuation of persistent conditions that have happened since 1995. 
Uh, so since 1995, 20 of the last 26 hurricane seasons have been above normal. And this will be the sixth consecutive season when an above average season was predicted. So given this seasonal forecast, it's important to get ready now in case hurricane season is similar to previous years. So in, in August, uh, NOAA is going to issue an update to this seasonal forecast. And we will likely look at trends in the Pacific Ocean, and particularly the sea surface temperature and the possibility of a resurgent La Nina, which could favor more intense hurricanes later in the season. Here in Florida, the point man for the hurricane season is Kevin Guthrie, the director of the Division of Emergency Management. And much like the Boy Scouts, Guthrie's motto is be prepared. Now is the time to go out and uh, get those uh, items that you need for your disaster preparedness kit. The very first thing that we need to do when we develop that disaster preparedness kit is stop and let's do an insurance check. Why is insurance so important? So many people look to FEMA inappropriately to help them recover from a disaster. The first line of defense on any type of uh, tropical system or any type of uh, weather hazard that we have here in the state of Florida is your insurance. Reason I say that we need to do an insurance checkup is because right now prices of homes are going up. The prices of rebuilding and construction have gone up immensely. So one of the things that I sat down with my insurance agent did back in April, she and I said, look, it's going to take about 20% more to rebuild your home than it did just a year ago. So let's raise the coverage on your house. Let's make sure that you have enough to uh, cover your house if you have to, if you should have to rebuild it. So I would highly encourage everyone to start with an insurance checkup, call your insurance agent, look at renter's insurance, look at homeowner's insurance, look at business insurance. All of those things should be going through an annual checkup just to make sure that you have enough coverage to rebuild your home. Because again, as I said, FEMA, is not an insurance gap agency. They are really there for the people that really have nothing and they need some type of help to do that. Second, now that we've got that done, it's time to actually plan your kit, get your stuff together that you need to have. First thing I wanna talk about is know your zone, know your home. That is a, a concept that we rolled out last year. We're gonna continue to use it. Why is it important for you to know your zone? We still to this day have shadow evacuation going on. Listen to your local emergency manager. If they tell you to evacuate evacuate for zone A or B or C or whatever they call for, know your zone, know where you live. The second thing that we'd ask people to do is know your home. Make sure you know what your, your home was built. Make sure you know um, what your winds rating is on your home. Again, you may be safer in your home than actually leaving. Third, you're now ready to make your disaster kit. So you know your home or you've done your insurance checkup, you know your home, you know your zone, and now you're ready to prepare that kit. The biggest thing I wanna talk about in creating that kit is 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. For those individuals that are living paycheck to paycheck, start thinking about how you shop today for your family for this week or for the next two weeks. You may wanna start making a conscientious decision to stop buying fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, fresh meats, and shift to canned fruits, canned vegetables, canned meats. That way, when you're ready to go into your preparedness kit, you literally just grab the the reusable uh, grocery bag, go to the uh, cupboards, pull off that stuff, put in your bag. You now have the basis of your food and water preparedness kit that you just made up in about 15 minutes. So we want to make sure that we've got um, things that 
even those that are living paycheck to paycheck and may not be able to do a lot of spending can actually continue to prepare their kid. Don't forget about prescriptions. Don't forget about those uh, valuables that you cannot replace, your um, your pictures, your policies, you know, certificates, marriage certificate, birth certificates, death certificates, things of that nature. Make sure you grab all those. A few more tips for you this season. There are dozens of different storm prediction models you can follow, but Ken Graham at the Hurricane Center says your best bet is the official forecast from the National Weather Service, because that's actually a mashup of all the rest. Please be careful. I guess everybody, I've been really hitting this hard this year. Everybody likes to find their, their, their favorite model of choice because it's so available. Remember what works the first time may not work the next time. So I wanted to say this, the National Hurricane Center's forecast beats the models every single time. We're looking at ensembles of these models. We're not looking at one line. We're looking at 70 lines. We're blending them. The hurricane specialists are weighting one model more than the other based on how it initializes. So remember, there is an official forecast. Um, we, we measure ourselves. We're very open when we do a good job. We're also very open when things don't go well. Uh, we're very transparent here. So, But the data shows that we beat the models every single time. And more importantly, for emergency management, we're more consistent. We don't wiggle and wobble and, and change that forecast a lot. And that really helps decision making. One other change this year, if we run through the entire alphabet of storms like last year, the National Weather Service will not be using Greek letters to name any storms. Graham says it was too confusing for the public. We had some challenges using the Greek alphabet. 2005 and 2020 were the only years we've ever ran out of names. Um, so it's staggering. We actually retired Dorian, Laura, Ada, and Iota. We've never been faced with a situation that we had to retire Greek alphabet names. So we have a committee um, that, that I chair with the World Meteorological Organization and Zeta, Eta, Theta, translation of all those, those words into Spanish. Uh, Zeta was perceived by, by many Americans as the last letter of, uh, we're, we're gonna run out of the next alphabet type of thing. And it really distracted from the message. So we, we voted, I proposed it, and there was a vote. We're not using the Greek alphabet in the future. I hope we never run out of names, but if we do, it'll be an alternate name list that's more recognizable to the public. I think that's a, is a huge change. Uh, I'm proud of that one this year, and I think it's going to serve the public better. The hurricane season runs from June 1st until November 30th, but that could change next year. There have been so many early storms in recent years that the start date could be rolled back to the middle of May. Governor Ron DeSantis has spent a lot of time in recent months trying to portray himself as the best buddy of the cruise ship industry, doing whatever he can to get them back in business. But now it turns out he could be one of the biggest impediments. The CDC says it will begin allowing cruises to resume if at least 98% of the crew and 95% of the passengers are vaccinated. But DeSantis issued an executive order banning vaccination passports, and he convinced the state legislature to make them illegal. The new law takes effect July 1st and includes fines of $5,000 for every passenger who's asked for proof of vaccination. DeSantis is now suing the CDC over the federal guidelines, and he's refusing to allow any sort of exemption for the cruise industry if they follow the feds and ask for proof of vaccination. Nobody has fought harder, not just for cruises, but the entire leisure and hospitality sector in this state in its history than me. You, you go to any town and visit restaurants and they will tell you, if I did not have the governor, if I had California or New York policies, I would have gone out of business. You look at hotels, you look at theme parks, you look at all this. Um, you know, we've been there and been the strongest advocate. What CDC has done by closing this, the, the cruise industry for over a year, 15 months almost, 14 months, um, they do not have the authority to do it. And so... We're doing it because it obviously has hurt our state, 
but it's a larger issue than just the cruises. Um, you cannot have just some bureaucracy that doesn't have the legal authority to do this, claim an emergency, and then shut down commerce. And so I can tell you this, all those cruise lines, if, if, if we, we win, you know, they're going to be uh, very much um, uh, uh, interested in, in doing, doing the Florida business. And oh, by the way, we provided vaccine for a lot of their, uh, their workers um, because they were so committed um, to doing out of Florida. But with that case is in mediation right now. You know, maybe there will be a, maybe there will be a resolution. I mean, my view is, is, you know, ultimately, you know, we want to vindicate the state's immediate interest with this. But there is a larger point, And I am confident we will win the case. We will win. We will write on the law. I think all the indications are that will be and we will absolutely be upheld in the 11th Circuit. Um, and so one way or another, you know, we're going to get it done. But even if he loses the case, the governor says he will not cut any slack for the cruise industry if they ask their customers for proof of vaccination. We are going to enforce Florida law. I mean, we have Florida law. We have laws to protect the people and the privacy of our citizens, and we are going to enforce it. In fact, I have no choice but to enforce it. I took an oath to enforce the law. And you don't say pass laws and then not enforce it against giant corporations. That doesn't work that way. Everybody is equal before the law, and we will absolutely, um, you know, enforce the law when when it takes effect, which is uh, not till July 1st, as you know. Um, but but we will do it, uh, and we will do it um, fairly and vigorously. The head of one major cruise line has already suggested they may have to move operations out of Florida because of that ban on vaccine passports. North Florida Congressman Matt Gates continues his unofficial campaign to become the troll-in-chief of the U.S. House of Representatives. During another one of his America First rallies with Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, Gates suggested it might be time to shoot the tech giants for pushing what he considers a liberal agenda. The Internet's hall monitors out in Silicon Valley, they think they can suppress us, discourage us. Maybe if you're just a little less patriotic, maybe if you just conform to their way of thinking a little more, that you'll be allowed to participate in the digital world. Well, you know what? Silicon Valley can't cancel this movement or this rally or this congressman. We have a second amendment in this country, and I think we have an obligation to use it. The second amendment, this is a little history lesson for all the fake news media. The second amendment is not about, it's not about hunting, it's not about recreation, it's not about sports. The second amendment is about maintaining within the citizenry the ability to maintain an armed rebellion against the government if that becomes necessary. I hope it never does, but it sure is important to recognize the founding principles of this nation and to make sure that they are fully understood. That comment triggered a firestorm of criticism against Gates, which is fine with him. As long as people are outraged about his call for an armed uprising against people who don't share his agenda, well then they're certainly not talking about that sex trafficking investigation, are they now? Your calendar of events. Today is the day the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity reinstates a work search rule that requires unemployment claimants to apply for five jobs a week if they want to get any benefits. That rule was suspended last year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Fishing regulations for snook, redfish, and spotted trout change today in southwest Florida as the state continues to address fisheries affected by the severe red tide outbreak that went on from 2017 until 2019. The Florida Supreme Court meets virtually at 9 this morning to hear four cases, including an appeal by Michael Gordon, who was convicted and sentenced to death in the slayings of Patricia Moran and Deborah Royal in Polk County six years ago. The Triumph Gulf Coast Board of Directors meets at 10.30 in Niceville to check out a regional video marketing presentation by Florida's Great Northwest. At 11, the Alzheimer's Foundation of America holds a webinar for Florida veterans and their family members about brain health, memory screenings, and veterans' benefits. And Americans for Prosperity of Florida will hold an event in Collier County to criticize President Biden's proposal for infrastructure spending. It starts at 6.30 at the Naples Hilton. Finally today, a Florida man is charged with stealing nearly 200 ventilators that were meant to help critically ill COVID patients in El Salvador. 42-year-old Yoelvis Dennis Hernandez was arrested in Del Rio, Texas last week on a federal indictment out of South Florida, where he was wanted for allegedly stealing a tractor trailer loaded with 192 medical ventilators last August as they were being transported by truck to Miami International Airport. They were worth about $3 million. Prosecutors say Hernandez helped detach a trailer that was holding the ventilators from a semi as it was parked overnight at a warehouse in Boynton Beach. They were supposed to be delivered to Miami International later that same day. Hernandez and an alleged accomplice, 24-year-old Luis Montero, are charged with federal conspiracy, possession of stolen goods being shipped interstate, and theft of government property. That's it for this installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 